Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We actually have our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman, who will be joining us. We're going to discuss the state of energy that happened in Corpus Christi, discussing what is happening in oil and gas. But first, I want to talk to you about our current issue of Shell Magazine. I am definitely impressed with this issue. Shell Magazine had the opportunity to catch up with the CEO of Oasis Petroleum Inc., Tommy News. I encourage you to go to shellmag.com, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and learn about Oasis Petroleum and Tommy News. You know, our show airs in all markets in Texas, uh, primarily in Houston and Austin, San Antonio, Permian Basin area, Corpus Christi. And there's a nonprofit out there called Future of the Region of South Texas. It actually is covering 47 counties in South Texas that they look at what is in the best interest for South Texas in areas of transportation, water, oil and gas, border issues, you name it. For more information, visit futureregionstx.org. Now it's time to bring on our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome back this week. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. I couldn't agree more. A lot of rain, but I I wanted to bring you back on because there is so much going on uh, in the way of oil and gas. And I kind of, when we we have a guest on, uh, we don't really get to cover all that's going on in oil and gas. And there's just so, so much. Um, that I kind of felt like we needed to, you know, spend a whole show on bringing everybody up to speed because there's been so much that's that's uh, been happening in oil and gas. A lot of great things. It really has. It's been a wild week. So since you're our resident energy expert, you are going to shed light on a lot of questions that I have and a lot of our listeners have. So let's get started, shall we? Good deal. So, you know, the U.S., uh, the EIA, uh, announced that America has passed both Russia and Saudi Arabia to become the largest oil producing country on earth. Do I need to repeat that again? (laughs) Just (laughs) making sure everybody heard that. Uh, Obviously, this is phenomenal news for us. Um, And um, I'm wondering, first of all, I mean, I know it's been a long time uh, if we have uh, surpassed Saudi Arabia. How did this happen? How are we here now? Well, and it has been a long time. The last time the United States was the largest oil producer uh, on Earth was 1973, which is, what, 45 years ago, just uh, just 10 years ago. When you really look back on it, our uh, national production of crude oil was less than half of what it is today. So we've doubled our industry in 10 years, has doubled the total U.S. production of crude oil. Uh, which is just astonishing because a decade ago, people thought the Permian Basin was a dead basin. Uh, The Eagle Ford Shale was a nuisance formation that uh, drillers didn't like to drill through because they always got a little 
kick of natural gas when they're going down to a deeper formation. And, you know, it was just a nuisance. And nobody, you know, I mean, people were drilling in the Bakken region, but not completing wells in the shale. And that's all changed now. And uh, so how did it happen? Well, um, it, it's happened uh, for a lot of different reasons. The first is, you know, we figured out how to produce oil from shale formations. <laughs> and that's why shale technology magazine, came along. Right. Technology. That's exactly right. Horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing. And thank goodness for that. You know, and then the second thing is we just have a lot of oil and gas in these shale plays, right? I mean, we are blessed in this country, not just in Texas, but but really all over the lower 48 states with just an abundance of, of resource under the ground, more than any other country on earth. And we have uh, just an incredible diversity and array of types of formations and multiple formations. You look in the Permian Basin. There's 11 different shale formations that people are drilling wells into right now, just in the Permian Basin. And, and so we're extraordinarily blessed with natural resources uh, here in this country. And then the third thing is we've had a series of good public policy decisions, as we talked about last week, that have really made this all possible. Um, you know, we talked about... Uh, the repeal of that stupid ban on crude oil exports that it existed since 1977. And thank goodness that happened at the end of 2015. And the other thing is, uh, you know, we, we have had by and large state and federal officials have resisted uh, the tactics of the anti-fracking movement, which are often very bullying and uh, occasionally even violent in nature. Uh, to outlaw hydraulic fracturing. And so hydraulic fracturing is, you know, there's exceptions like New York State, uh, Denton, Texas, uh, you know, uh, several other cities around the state and a few counties but, uh, uh, around the country. But reality is, by and large, hydraulic fracturing may remains legal, well-regulated uh, process that advances technologically every day. And, and we get better and better at it time. And, and so that has really, you know, been a major factor. And, and those are really the three major factors that have enabled us to, to reach this point. Well, I, I you know, um, I've heard a lot of elected officials as of lately say that elections um, matter and we are coming up on an election quickly. And I'm not saying uh, go vote for Trump or not to vote for Trump, but I want to just quickly get into a discussion. So if we have surpassed Russia and Saudi Arabia in producing uh, oil and are the largest producers in the country right now, there's a whole other reason why this is important to Americans. uh, And it's kind of where it's a matter of national security. We, we, we fight wars in uh, the Middle East. And a lot of it has to do with oil reserves that, that are no longer, um, uh, we don't have that need anymore. And as long as um, oil and gas is being produced and we have an abundance here in the United States, a lot of these in the past uh, arguments, if you will, and things that elected officials had to look at, they're not so important anymore. And therefore, you know, when we look at uh, elections matter, um, when we look at the past administration versus this administration, there was a a, a real uh, push to, to, to not promote oil and gas from the Obama administration and a real push to push oil and gas from the Trump administration. Correct. Uh, give me a little bit of some comparisons of, of why this election uh, is Trump a pro-energy 
uh, president. Well, completely. Yeah. I mean, and of course, he last summer he announced uh, about a year ago now his uh, U.S. energy dominance uh, agenda, which included rolling back some of the really heavy handed regulations from the Obama years. Uh, and doing everything he could administratively to, uh, you know, cut back barriers to being able to get your permits processed uh, in a timely manner on federal lands, hold these big lease auctions. My God, just last week, they had a lease auction. The, the Bureau of Land Management leased federal lands in southeast New Mexico in the Permian region in New Mexico and collected a billion dollars in lease bonuses, a billion dollars. That's 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 twice the 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 record year for an entire year uh, previously, which was 2008. It's triple what the federal government collected in in auctions last year, and that's in New Mexico, in a little corner of New Mexico. So, yeah, public policy makes a huge difference, and elections matter. It does, and so it's a matter of national security. And then I'm gonna we're gonna have to go to break, but I want to leave it with this. It also, if you like going to uh, the gas pumps and having a reasonable amount that you're paying, and your utility bills are somewhat. Uh, rated decently, and actually they kind of lowered uh, recently. All of that also has to do with an abundance of oil and gas coming from uh, out of the United States um, as well. So there's a lot of reasons why this is a really good time for the USA. Um, and we have, a, I think, an administration that gets it, that uh, the United States, in order for us to be strong all the way around, whether it's, you know, looking at it uh, from a a global standpoint or right here at home oil and gas is is a huge product that we all need and when it's uh when we're drilling and we have an abundance it's good for everyone that is correct well we're going to take a quick break when we come back i want to get on oil prices because there's a lot of confusion there as well but we do have to take a quick break you are listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back in the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute, produced by ShaleMag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Economic concerns were back in the news yesterday and took a toll on oil prices. The International Energy Agency reported yesterday that its forecast for oil demand may be at risk due to challenges in some emerging areas of the globe. In addition, the agency acknowledged that the U.S.-China trade wars were were poised to have a notable impact on the two nations, as well as a ripple effect through other areas that are currently poised for growth. In other news, energy traders seem to be taking the looming hurricane season and Hurricane Florence in particular into account in further fears about both supply disruptions and economic slows. WTI lost $1.49 yesterday to end at $68.81 per barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. 
Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine. And uh, David, before the break, we were talking about how uh, the EIA announced that America has surpassed Russia and Saudi Arabia, becoming the largest oil producer in the country, or actually not in the country, in on the earth, um, which is huge. But there's also been some confusion with oil prices. Um, it keeps, it, it's changing. So the price of WTI went up over $70 earlier this week, and then it dropped almost $2 on Thursday. So the ups and the downs are confusing for people like uh, me and our listeners. So give me some understanding of what's happening. Why is this uh, price going up and down? Yeah, you know, I mean, of course, following oil prices is always a confusing thing. There's so many different, you know, almost daily factors that that impact uh, what the price of oil may be. Um, So what happened early in the week uh, was that we had a big, big drawdown in in inventories, uh, crude oil inventories here in the United States that was announced by the EIA on Tuesday. And, And so we the market responded to that saying, oh my goodness, we're not getting enough oil into the country. We got to raise the price, right? And so the price shot up from 68 something to $70 and 20 cents or something like that. And then the very next day, Saudi Arabia and Russia both announced that they had increased their production in August in order to make up for, you know, the the growing loss of Iranian exports because of the the new sanctions that the Trump administration is reimposing on them. And the price dropped by two dollars, and it's just this up and down thing constantly. Usually, you don't get two dollar shifts in a single day. Usually, it's twenty, thirty cents one way or another. But I mean, just every day, there's something new that's impacting the price of oil. And uh, you know, uh, of course, other things that that continue, you know, as factors are uh, Venezuela's industry is just completely collapsing. Their daily production goes down every day. Uh, because their government is um, is destroying the country, basically, uh, which is such a shame, such a shame, because Venezuela has so much resource and, and was 20 years ago such a vibrant economy. It's just really sad what's happening there. Well, they don't have elections, but right. socialism is definitely not a solution. Just look at them. Yeah, and so, you know, there's that, and then you have 
Libya is in the middle of a civil war and has been for the last several years. And, uh, you know, nothing ever gets resolved over there. So you have periodic outages at their major export terminals. And, you know, in a single day, you can lose a couple of hundred thousand barrels in a single day just from 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 uh, some rebels setting off a bomb near one of those export terminal sites. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yemen is unstable and you know, all these unstable countries all over the world that are big oil producers and all of that uh, and many other things impact uh, where the price of oil moves on any given day. I just think that, um, you know, as, as, as we're speaking and, and we hear all these different areas that are struggling with out putting uh, their oil out on the market and the main players, of course, Russia, Saudi Arabia, as a, as a, as a, just as a citizen, you have to think about how important us exploring here on our homeland is to us it's it's actually vital i mean it doesn't really dictate the price of oil and and i get that but it also does make me feel better to know we have and we are producing oil here which was you know not necessarily so uh, in uh, as much as we were uh, in the past and so when you look at all these different countries and how unstable they are um you know energy is just so important that we keep you know, producing it here in the United States. Um, again, it's that energy dominance and a national security and yeah. uh, oil prices. Everything comes into play. I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, and and talk a little bit about um, natural gas uh, for a few minutes. And that's because another new report from the EIA report shows that gas production from Haynesville uh, shale has gone up steadily over this year and is now higher than at any point since 2012. So this is obviously great news for our listeners in East Texas and Louisiana, which is where we're airing. Uh, But let's talk about the factors that are making that happen. Yeah, so this is a real success story that that nobody at the first of the year really expected to to take place. You know, the Haynesville has been a fairly dormant region since 2012, basically, when the price of gas first collapse from, you know, the $5 range down to the two two fifty range. It's, you know, it's firmed up since then. It's, it's you know, hovers around $3 uh, an MMBTU these days and has for the last couple of years. And what's so interesting about what's going on there uh, is that the rig count in the Haynesville has, has remained pretty much the same for, for a year now. I mean, it hovers around 60 and uh, that's what it's been uh, since this time last year and even longer ago than that. So it hasn't been an increase in the number of drilling rigs, but there have been so many efficiencies gained, first of all, in how quickly the wells get drilled and completed. So each rig is drilling and completing more wells. That's part of it. And then another big part of it is the fact that uh, the technology keeps advancing in terms of, of completion, uh, technologies and, and practices and, and, you know, how the drillers are able to target the sweet spots in the formation as they go through go through it horizontally, that the recoveries from each individual well have really increased substantially. And then, you know, the third thing is you just have that close proximity uh, to multiple markets that have popped up over the last few years. The Sabine Pass LNG export facility is one. You've had tens of billions of dollars in new investment, capital investment in the chemical and fertilizer and plastics industries along the Gulf Coast. And so the Haynesville is just 
ideally situated to supply all of that. And so it's just been this great combination of factors that have really led to a renaissance over there. Interesting. David, when we return, I want to ask you your opinion on why are we not seeing the same thing taking place with the Barnett Shell? But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired to the time they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your employees' health care needs, health care that comes to you. Call 1-866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And our guest today is David Blackman, our resident energy expert, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine. Uh, David, before the break, we were talking about uh, Haynesville and uh, Haynesville Shale and uh, up in East Texas and Louisiana and all of the natural gas that's being produced from there. But my question is, um, there's also the Barnett Shell. And uh, mm-hmm. we're not seeing uh, the similar thing taking place with Barnett Shell. What is what, what is the differences between these two different shell plays? Yeah, and of course, I live up in the, the sweet spot of the Barnett Shell area. And every, every morning or afternoon when I go out to run some errands, I look carefully around to see if there's any new drilling rigs and unfortunately i don't ever see any um and you're near so, the dallas area correct i'm i'm up near fort worth in mansfield which is you know one of the real sweet spots and uh but yeah there's not any activity there's very little i mean there's 18 20 rigs active rigs uh, in the barnett and and it's been fairly depressed for quite a while um, even though you're getting the increased efficiencies in every shale play, you know, that we talked about in the last segment, and increased recoveries from each well, the problem with the Barnett is a, a couple of things. Number one is there's just, it's in an isolated area in north central Texas. It is quite a ways away from, from the Gulf Coast, and so it's more expensive to transport natural gas from this region, right? And so the infrastructure's there, but it just costs more to move your gas to to those plants or move it to Sabine Pass uh, to be exported. So there's not as much demand for it. And then the the Barnett is a more mature basin than the Haynesville. You know, we started producing in, in earnest in the Barnett Shale in 1999. So it's it's almost 20 years now. Now, um, I'm going to turn to a little bit more serious topic. Um, You know, we are now facing another hurricane. Hurricane Florence is now impacting the eastern uh, seaboard. And, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with all those people out there. No one can uh, have more 
uh, uh, prayers for them than myself, who um, was a victim, uh, my, one of my homes of, of Hurricane Harvey. Um, and, you know, Hurricane Harvey hit us last year. It hit Rockport, Texas, um, and it created so much devastation uh, for, you know, Coastal Bend area. And um, so I want to talk about some of the ways that uh, a terrible storm can impact the oil and gas industry, you know, here in Texas, as well as uh, possibly is there an impact over there? pertaining to oil and gas well there yeah and, and of course uh first let's talk about where where uh hurricane florence is hitting north carolina south carolina into georgia uh these are not real oil patch areas right there there is some small bits of industry here and there but but not a lot of oil and gas infrastructure in that area other than pipelines which are underground and not going to be majorly impacted by the storm uh other than the one real vulnerable piece of a pipeline is your compressor stations, which are above ground. And so those could be getting flooded. There's potential for flooding of, of compressor stations and other above ground facilities. In Texas, though, you know, when, when Harvey came in, it came in over Rockport and kind of lingered up and down the Gulf Coast for almost a week uh, and dumped all that rain and, and, you know, tore Rockport up with Category 4 winds. And, and, of course, you know, in the heart of the Texas oil and gas industry. Um, so uh, a lot of well locations with, you know, with above ground facilities were flooded out. Uh, but the biggest, you know, uh, as far as the oil and gas industry, the, the segment of the industry that got hit the hardest by Harvey was the refining segment. Right. Because uh, they had to go know, offline, of which, right? A lot of them had to go right. offline. Right. I mean, 23 different refineries were flooded. Uh, by Harvey, you know, which is, uh, it was something like almost 25% of our nation's refining capacity was out of service. Uh, most of them for weeks. Uh, it was well over two months before the last one was brought back online. So that was a major impact, not just uh, to Texas, but to really to the whole country because we, we experienced gasoline shortages, not, not just here in Texas, but really all up and down the Eastern seaboard because, uh, uh, major pipeline, the Colonial Pipeline, which carries so much gasoline uh, up to those northeastern and, and lower eastern uh, states, was shut in for several weeks. So we had gasoline shortages, and you know we had higher gasoline prices for a while there, and uh, it, it was a major impact. Uh, and so a storm like this, you know, it's not just the wind. The biggest piece, you know, with Florence and, and with Harvey, too, was the water. Right. And uh, oh, it's just is devastating. Right. Yeah. And we're already starting to see the there's another storm coming in in the Gulf Coast. But and uh, it, we've got to keep our eye on that one because it has the potential. There's a storm behind that to also come in and hit the Gulf Coast again. So welcome to hurricane season. <laughs> with that, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get on to some of the elections that are uh, coming online here looking forward to november uh, but we do have to take a quick break you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back oil field experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965 from the auto repair shop to the pump jack call us to get the right part right now here's the number so write it down oil field experts 210-471-1923 Again, that's 210-471-1923. 
And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have David Blackman joining us, our resident energy expert, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, before the break, we were talking about this Hurricane Florence that's now impacting the eastern seaboard. And um, of course, uh, hopefully everything turns out all right for them. But I want to just switch gears just slightly and talk about there's been a lot of coverage as well on the hurricane by the the national media and i guess i'm trying to understand how they have um put the blame on president trump um, for not reacting fast enough and then of course there's also they're blaming president trump for puerto rico um and i mean what is going on with the media and the coverage that uh, they're giving for the hurricane, and and how are they blaming President Trump for all these different things? Well, it, it's it is really silly. I I have to tell you, uh, I started noticing the the whole Trump's Katrina narrative popping up uh, in the media coverage over last weekend, five days before the hurricane even uh, came on shore. Uh, and before anyone knew what the government's response to it was going to be. And it's just typical um, biased coverage in the news media that we see of this president, frankly, and it's obvious to everyone, I think, at this point. Um, it, it's the most ridiculous, well, there are two incredibly absurd pieces I saw in newspapers. One was the Washington Post ran an op-ed saying that Donald Trump uh, because he doesn't adhere to global warming theory, was complicit with this hurricane, the creation, the literal creation of the hurricane. Well, here's reality. What's happened to the last 10 or 15 hurricanes we've had in the right. past? Who was complicit with that? Who was complicit with those? Was Barack Obama <laughs> complicit you know, no, with, with the hurricane today? No, of course not. It, it's, it's silly. It's absurd. Here's the reality. Over the last 40 years, okay, the last 40 years— We have had the lowest, a record low amount of hurricane and tornado activity in the Atlantic Basin and in the continental United States, okay? No one's saying that. Coinciding with this rapid increase of carbon dioxide. Well, the Washington Post's whole editorial was that, well, Trump doesn't believe we need to lower carbon dioxide, so he's creating a hurricane. Well, no, no, that's not what's happening. That's not happening at all. It's completely at odds with reality, first of all. It's this hurricanes have been happening for billions of years on the earth, okay? During periods when we had high amounts of a, uh, atmospheric carbon dioxide, and periods w- when we had much lower right. levels than we do today. We're always in constant change. I mean, right. the earth it, is always so changing. Ridiculous. It just drives me crazy. And, and so, it, it's sad. It's just really ridiculous. It's ridiculously funny how 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 they really. I don't know why anybody would write that. I would be kind of embarrassed to put my name attached to it. But speaking of uh, of President Trump, though, um, I was actually watching a, a a trailer last night, and it actually came out on one of the news channels, one of I guess more of the right leaning news channels, but it wasn't Fox. Um, and it was basically uh, a Steve Bannon movie in which it talks about. I think the title is Trump at War. And it really was a great overview of what he's doing and what the left is doing. And it made sense about even if you are on one side or the other, it kind of just really laid everything out in a really 
a nice way so you can understand. If you think that the that the United States has gone crazy and our Congress uh, folks have gone crazy and everyone has got their hair on fire and you've got all these crazy groups out there, and it, it puts it all together and it makes total sense to you about what is really happening here. And uh, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. And I encourage a lot of anyone else to go and uh, YouTube it on the YouTube video and just look at the trailer. It's called Trump at War. Um, It made a lot of sense. So anyway, I got off on a little tangent here. Let's get to the fall (laughs) election preview nationally. Um, The outlook. um, Of course, November is around the corner. Um, There are a lot of seats that um, are up. And um, there's a lot of craziness again going on. Uh, A lot of money being spent in different areas. Um, One, of course, at home is Ted Cruz versus this uh, Beto O'Rourke. Tell me a little bit about your outlook for the U.S. Senate seats and House. Well, so, yeah, I mean, we have that that race in Texas here, uh, which looks like it's tighter than it ought to be. Uh, I still think it will loosen up somewhat as we get closer to November. Uh, Well, what do you think it is, though? Do you think it's that people think this guy is is Hispanic with the nickname Bethel, but he's not? He's not. Well, that's that's what he's trying to project, obviously. I mean, the man's name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. He was named after... Bobby Kennedy, he, you know, he comes from a wealthy upper class family in El Paso. Uh, he's not Hispanic in any way, but he does speak Spanish. And to his credit, he does speak the Spanish language. And I think that appeals to a lot of people. Well, um, I can say I'm Hispanic and I can say that there's a lot of heritage that goes along with the traditional Hispanic culture. Sure. And if you're not one, you don't understand it. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, he's a marketing, he's basically an image guy. He's, he's a lot like Bill Clinton was in 1992 and Barack Obama in 2008. And it's all about uh, perception rather than reality. Reality is he's a far left-wing Democrat. And I think what we'll see is Ted Cruz running a highly negative campaign, a quote, negative campaign in which he spends a lot of money trying to define his opponent and uh, point out all the stuff about him that uh, means he's really not this moderate uh, Democrat who's going to vote his own line when he gets to Washington. He's going to be a tool for Chuck Schumer to use, and and I I really don't think Texans are going to elect him. But anyway, that's just one race. You know, the Senate is 51-49 right now between Republicans and Democrats. So there are 25 Democrats seats up for re-election this time and only nine Republican seats and uh, should be a year in which the Republicans make gains. Uh, right now, if you trust the polls, which I do not, um, you you would think that uh, it's going to be nip and tuck as to whether the Democrats uh, gain control of the Senate. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you're going to see the Republicans pick up four or five seats and end up with 55 or 56 seats in the Senate. Um, and it's just, I mean, this is just like 2016. Uh, all the polls are, are just all over the place, they, you know, and they're, they're coming up with outrageous results because they're taking stupid samples. Uh, frankly, they don't properly, you know, take a sam- sample that 
reflects the real voter base. I was going to say, who even knows who they're polling and, and if it's even accurate or even truthful at this point? Because you look, I mean, I just look back at the Hillary Trump time and their polls were all over the place having um, Hillary Clinton win. And of course, we now know the results. She lost by a landslide. Um, but we do have to take a quick break, David. When I return, I want to get back on the elections because there's a lot of seats. So I want to talk about the outcome if the Republicans take over and they have more seats. Um, what does this look like for, of course, oil and gas and, of course, the political landscape? But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, our resident energy expert, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, before the break, we were talking about uh, the fall election, previewing the national landscape of what it's going to look like. And it's really important that uh, this is an important time, uh, especially depending on, you know, what side you are are standing or sitting in. Um, And for oil and gas, it's kind of important that we keep moving forward with uh, elected officials that understand oil and gas. And so for me, this is important, um, a, an important race to talk about. And before the break, you talked a little bit about the Senate um, and what you believe we the Senate might pick up seats uh, in reference to a Democrat or Republic. Let's talk about the House as well. Yeah, Um well, they ha- the House is, is, is really tough for typically in a mid, midterm election for an incumbent president's party uh, in his first term, which is, you know, Donald Trump's his first term in office. This is the first midterm in the, on average. But isn't he know, extremely popular, too? I mean, despite what the polls well, no, are saying. Not. I don't think he is. I think it's, you know, he's, his popularity is probably around 50-50, 45-55, something like that. So he's not unusually popular. He's not unusually unpopular for an incumbent president. His his public approval ratings are as high or higher than Barack Obama's at a similar point in time. Well, but reality is Barack Obama got slaughtered at the polls in his first midterm election. Uh, And on average, the incumbent president's party loses on average 23 seats during the first midterm. So Republicans have a 24-seat majority. <laughs> so if it's an average election, that gets them awfully close to losing control of the House. Um, I, I think a real bellwether is House District 21, where uh, Will Hurd, you know, is in that, that gigantic district that runs all the way from San Antonio. Into uh, Midland, to, yeah. To, or, yeah. Almost to El Paso. And uh, it's about a 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats in that district. And the most recent poll there has, has uh, the incumbent, Representative Heard, with an eight-point lead over his opponent. 
Well, if this was going to be a big blowout year for the Democrats, you would expect Will Hurd to be in serious trouble. I mean, deep trouble um, in that particular district. Uh, so, so I look at that poll, and, and again, I don't really put a lot of trust in polls, but if that poll is fairly accurate gauge of where we are today, you know, that's, that's really great news for the Republican Party, not just in Texas, but everywhere. You don't think that it's because Will Hurd is a strong candidate well, by he's himself? A great I mean, candidate. he's, he's exactly yeah. that his, his opponent cannot touch him. He's an ex CIA operative. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. He has expertise in national security, foreign intelligence. I mean, I think that most of us, when we look at his, you know, his past record of, you know, his employment, uh, we can appreciate the fact that he was laying his life down on the line for us. I think that's just a huge benefit. And I'm wondering if it's because he is just that good of a candidate off of his past that is it making well it hard. Be. It could be. And, and of course, he is the incumbent and there's advantages in that. But, you know, his last two elections have been just as close as they could possibly be. And uh, anyway, I you know, I, I just think it's too early to really make any final judgments, but I really expect the Republicans at the end of the day are, are going to retain control because the overall general mood of the public, two years ago, there was a big mood in the public for radical change. That's not really happening right now in the general public. The mood is pretty much a status quo mood. And so when you have an election year like this, when the overall mood of the public is kind of status quo, you really expect a status quo election. And I just think the Republicans will probably lose some seats in the House, but uh, it won't be enough to give the Democrats control there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think I'm crazy, too, but I was right in 2016, and I suspect I'm going to be right this year, too. I think you're going to be right, too. And and I'm also praying you're going to be right, because it seems like we've got a lot of great change. The economy is doing great. Uh, lowest unemployment rate in uh, Hispanics and blacks. The unemployment rate is low. I mean, there's just so many great things happening. And so I just think that through President Trump, his changes that have happened relatively quickly, we've seen a huge change um, that can only be accredited to him, his policies. And hopefully, um, in my opinion, if we can keep this up, uh, we all stand to benefit. And so um, I like those lower tax breaks. Um, what can I say? Yeah. So. And a booming economy, you know, tends to to really help the the incumbent party. And boy, there's no doubt that the economy is booming right now. Right. So I just don't understand who would be voting to go backwards and to raise taxes again and to, I mean, there's a lot out there that that uh, that uh, the Democratic Party is talking about that that I, I I don't know. I don't quite understand why we would want to vote for somebody that's going to raise taxes. If I had one thing that I could actually say, I'm going to uh, why I'm going to vote the way I'm going to vote is because I see a thriving economy and uh, that matters to me because we haven't seen it in years and years and years and years and years, at least 12. So they're doing something right. It's yeah. been a while. Um, well, David, that is all the time we have for today's show. Thank you for coming in and, and talking to us about oil and gas and putting everything in perspective for us to understand what's happening. And I look forward to having you next week on um, to talk more about oil and gas and politics. Great. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, David, for being a guest today on our show. And congratulations, because you are going to be the topic of today's trivia question. Be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com and win yourself a 
two-night stay at the beautiful Omni Hotel in Corpus Christi, Texas. Today's trivia question is, what is David Blackman's title at Shell Magazine? Remember to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and win yourself a two-night stay at the Omni Hotel in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. I'd like to encourage our listeners, if you have a question, we are here to answer it. If you have a question, no matter how simple or how difficult you think it might be, please email us at radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. And we will have our resident energy expert, David Blackman, answer it for you. But that is all the time we have for this show. Please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. And follow us on Twitter at shellmag. And also be sure to go to shellmag.com and sign up for our free newsletter. With that, you will receive the latest issue of Shell Magazine, insightful articles, the Energy Minute, as well as many, many business articles as well. That's going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.